seconds flat. Give me up. This is the Seconds Flat Running Podcast. Sammy's been broken three times. He refuses to give in. He might do it. Look at that guy. Look at Black Zero. Oh, my gosh. Hello again, friends. Welcome in for mile 118 of the Seconds Flat Running Podcast. Oh, it's good to be back. Phil, it's good to have you back, man. It's How good things to be going? Here. I think I'm good. Yeah. Happy summer. Happy summer, indeed. Excited to have you on to extend our conversation from about a month ago about the training principles of elite athletes. Because yeah. as we mentioned, there was a gateway into another episode about a topic that didn't get explored a lot okay. within the research that yep. we cited. Noting that fartlek was one of the methods of training used, but there wasn't a ton of specifics and details on how it is used yeah. and why it is used. Whereas with the other training methods, the modalities that were included, we were able to break down for you more details that were cited from all of these training logs. Yeah. So tonight's episode will be entitled Revisiting Fartlek Updated Wisdom on a Favorite Training Session. Well, and yeah. I think I think this is one too that like doesn't get much coverage from a like research perspective mm -hmm. because so often we just try to isolate the one variable and see how effective that is at improving. You know, let's just use the big term fitness. Yeah. Um, but as it relates to like these type of workouts, you know, there's stuff they've been done forever, but you know, it's not an area that really gets explored too much from a how can we specifically apply this to my individual training to to get faster. So. Yeah, it's somewhat difficult to measure in traditional lab settings sure. that we use in a lot of these studies, but the product we're going to bring you today is more about what is results-driven, yeah. what uh, we've seen to be successful from elite athletes worldwide, what anecdotally we have enjoyed, and also, just to give you a huge library of a bunch of workouts here that you can come back to again and again. I think this is an episode that you'll listen to again in the future when looking for a workout that fits a different training cycle for a different race. Yeah. Well, it's something that's very adaptable for any race that you're training for and really at any point in your training gear, really. Yeah. And something to be creative with and have fun with. Absolutely. That's right. So we're going to get into why they work, how to execute a fartlek session, and a bunch of example sessions that we enjoy. Uh, before we do that, Phil, we are in the midst of NCAA Track and Field Championships. It's on right now. As we record, it's yeah. on right now. And so we will be following up soon with some big stories from results there. We've, since we've been gone, since you've been gone, we've had... <laughs> that was lovely. That was awful. We've had a Prefontaine Classic. Uh -huh. We've had some big Diamond League meets. 
everything's happening, and we are just a couple weeks away from USA Championships to qualify for World Championships that are in Eugene. It's the summer of Eugene. And the United States, yes, so we'll be there. We are the Diamond League's there, we got NCAAs there. Yes, and then we'll have US Championships and World Championships. So we'll have a bunch of exciting track results and previews uh, as well coming at you over the course of the next month. Let's begin first with our past seven days of training, Phil. I yeah. got an email from a friend of the show. Oh, yeah? Our guy Brian in Iowa. Nice. And he mentioned in there that he has enjoyed how we have applied within our training some of the concepts that we've been discussing in the episodes on what the elites are doing, yep. how we take that to the average runner, and then looking at the specific specific examples of what you and I apply yeah. and how we use those. Yeah. So this week's a great example for the past seven days. I guess we'll do – it's Thursday. Yeah. So – Past seven days or so? Past seven days. Sure. Uh, for you, this is just starting back up post a target race. Yeah, so – And for me, it is uh, in the final stretch before peaking for the spring target. Thank you. I appreciate <laughs> that. Yes, sweetheart. Uh, why don't you go ahead first, Phil? Sure. So I guess a little bit of context is – I'm a little over three and a half weeks out from a marathon, so still kind of really just playing and getting back into things. This past week was my first somewhat half-structured week, which wasn't fully executed the way it was planned, but that's, <laughs> that's life. Yeah. So that's okay. So really just kind of getting back into putting some miles in and getting consistent again. Last Friday, oh, it was a beautiful thing to see Paris Mountain on the schedule. Yeah. Oh, it's a gorgeous You're morning back. up there. I'm back. That's yeah. right. Uh, so did my usual uh, run up Paris Mountain. Saturday, went up to Asheville with a buddy uh, to go see Jason Isbell, and we stopped by before to Bent Creek, yeah, which yeah. is, we hadn't really talked much about that spot as a local It's a beautiful spot, ground. yeah. Man, that is fantastic. So put in about 14 miles on a loop up there, which was, first half was kind of gradually climbing, the second half was kind of gradually descending, dirt road, a little bit of non-technical trail. In the woods at a little bit of elevation. It was, oh, it's beautiful up there. Nice. Um, and then Sunday, uh, put in another hour up on the mountains to sea trail while we were up there. It's a little bit cooler up there than it was down here. Yeah. And then the rest of the week's been, uh, it's a life week. I'll put it that way. Okay. Uh, so Monday we got out, just did our easy, usual four miles, uh, put a few strides in there. That felt good to that turn boy. things over yeah. a little bit. Sunday, our friend Dean's out of town, so it was hard to motivate to get up and uh, get out, so I slept in. No, not Sunday, Tuesday. Tuesday, yeah. I'm confused on what day it is. Yeah, and then Wednesday, went out uh, my friend Jim, and we just put in an easy six miles, looped around town. Uh, today was supposed to be something, but work's been crazy this week, so it was a, a zero day. I was in the office most of the day. Uh, I'm just glad you made it here tonight. Oh, I'm glad to be here. Good. So, it was a good week. Getting a little more consistent. And we'll keep building from here. A great takeaway from that is not putting any pressure really on this as you're just starting up. A target race, we don't have one yet yeah. for you. Well, you know of one that uh, you've talked a little about that I'd really like to see you run with me in about yeah. six, six months. Six months from so. now. <laughs> <laughs> so, I don't want to put too much motivation into that yet. Yeah, just enjoying a few miles. Yeah, I love what you did last shape. weekend. Uh, those were some great yeah. runs. So. What have you been up to? You got well, a big race coming up. Yeah, so I guess... And you got months in the tank for this, too. I know, and when I look at this Friday to Thursday that I'm going to describe, this is a bit atypical uh, in the number of quality sessions you're going to hear about, because it's almost every other day. Okay. Uh, it was just how the end of one cycle, microcycle fell and yeah. the beginning of another did, so... 
we're recording here on Thursday evening. I won't have a quality session again till Sunday. I'll get another one on Wednesday and then a race the following yeah. Saturday. So it'll be every three days. Uh, but things just kind of fell between work and how my training was lined up. So uh, last Friday morning was, was super hot and humid. Yeah. I had uh, really, this is just, it's it's a broken threshold effort. It's 20 by 400. Uh, okay. They were at a 10K-ish. Oh, that's a nice test piece. With a 100-meter jog in between. Okay. Uh, so it's it's broken in an effort to get the quality in. You're still getting 8K or approximately 5 miles yeah. of really quality effort in. But under those conditions, something long, continuous, didn't feel very appetizing. Yeah, sure. So 20 by 479 high... Easy to just shake out that afternoon. Saturday morning, great event. Well, let me interrupt. Yeah, so please. Let's go put ahead. that in a interrupt. little context. So, I like when you interrupt. <laughs> in terms of your overall week, that's a, you know, from somebody, I, I just did, what, 25, 30 miles last week. Mm-hmm. You know, that's a beefy workout for where I'm at right now. But in terms of your overall mileage, like, that was five miles of effort. Mm-hmm. Well, what's been your total weekly mileage for the, for that seven days? If we looked at, uh, I'll take, I'll just say last week yeah. because I can look on Strava and see what the numbers were. It was 93 miles okay. last week. It's been pretty much, at, there were like three weeks in a row where, again, I'm not really calculating total volume yeah. very specifically, just trying to do what's the right work for me. Yeah. I think there were three weeks in a row where it fell between 99 and 100 miles. It was oh, that precise, man. like all accidental. It's a Strava tax. Yes. It would have been 100 plus. So it's essentially, it's been between 90 and 100 for the most part. There was a cutback when I ran the 12K in yeah. Spokane at the beginning of the month. Uh, this week will be a little less and next week will be more significantly less. Yeah. So yes, it's five miles of quality. I, I guess to give that broader picture, previous, a few days before that, it was kind of the last faster workout with some 30 second hills. Okay. So it was 10 minutes of really, if you added up all the hills, cause it was two by 10 by 30 second hill. Okay. So it was 10 minutes of hill work, uh, five miles of this stuff. That's really broken threshold at it's 10 K pace or efforts. But given the breaks and the short intervals, if we were going to measure blood lactate and heart rate, it's, it's probably in a high. threshold zone, yeah. right? And it's staying relatively consistent, close to uh, a breaking point towards critical speed and most likely a little more um, economy gain here yeah. than running slightly slower. But yeah, I mean, those were the I'll get to the long run that was on Sunday, but that was the only other quality session. So there's a, still a ton of easy miles yeah. in this. Uh, Saturday morning was the 5K event at Run In with Hoka and Do South Coffee that was nice. super fun. I had a great morning and it was a beautiful morning. Easy 5K, 25 minutes. That afternoon went out after work and had a little, about 40 minutes with, with a few strides in it. Sunday morning uh, was 18.6 miles in an hour 58. So that's okay. a 620 average. I've been doing this loop. I've really enjoyed. It's got some decent uh, gradual at first hills yeah. and then like some bigger uh, stuff later on in it. It's got one pretty decent climb. Where'd you go? It's Furman, TR, uh, Berea, yeah. that uh, that whole okay. area. Traveler's nice. Rest for yeah. people who aren't local uh, is TR. I feel really fit, and I'm going to say this. I can't believe I'm going to say this, Phil. I, I, 
I want to run this race well, but I'm almost happier right now that I've been doing long runs that are somewhere in the two hour to 20 mile, which is a little yeah. bit longer range, this 18 to 20 mile range at these just steady clips where it's sometimes it's been progressing and sometimes it's been relatively steady. You know, this one was just pretty much steady. The one before worked all the way down to half marathon pace and I felt fantastic on all of them. Nice. And I'm just enjoying those yeah. so much that I almost care more about that. And I'm enjoying <laughs> that and having fun with it. Just stacking week on week on yeah, week. And, of that kind of work. But I know it's going to have long-term benefits. Sure. And, and of course I want to run well next week, but also, you know, this you don't know what kind of day you're going to show right. up in. You had some crummy weather right. for your last race, and I might get that as well. We'll see when I show up on race day. Well, the race is the fun part, but the, the stuff you do day after day is what is really enjoyable. Yeah, and to get great joy out of 20 miles, yeah. is, that's fun. Because that's I'm just, I just look forward to it. I've really nice. been looking forward to it. Uh, Monday was, frankly, just a glorified off day. I trotted around for 45 minutes really, really, really slowly, and then went to a yoga class later in the day. Nice. So put that in context. What? So you did, what, 18 miles or so at 620 pace? On Sunday, yeah. yeah what, I was, what'd you do for easy pace? <laughs> I was almost two minutes per mile slower nice. the next day. Yeah, uh, it was it was over eight-minute pace, So which is slower than my normal Easy day, uh -huh. not significantly, but definitely, yes, slower than I might yeah. normally run on an easy day. Sunday was the last long run of this cycle, about two weeks out. Tuesday was the last medium-long session. Okay. It was 13.3 miles in an hour and 29 minutes, so that's like 640-ish. Yeah. Just went up the trail to Furman and back down the trail. So it was naturally a bit progressive because I'm coming downhill right. on, on, the, on the return. Yeah. Wednesday morning, it was about an hour easy, and then it was about 40 minutes easy in the afternoon up to Bob Jones University for uh, the best grass in oh, the city man. for some grass strides. Shoes or barefoot? Uh, they were with shoes on oh. on this occasion, yes. And then this morning, and again, this is why I'm saying this is atypical because I had a quality session again this morning. I did uh, five sets of... 800 meters at about half marathon pace. I ended up a little quick on all of them unintentionally. A 200 meter jog. Okay. And then 400 meters at 5K. Nice. I ended up about a second fast on all those. Yeah. And then there was a 200, I would call it more of a shuffle than a jog. It was yeah. about 10 seconds slower than the 200 in between the reps. Uh -huh. A 200 set break. So 800 on 200 jog, 400 faster. Okay. And then 200, and then recycle it okay. five times. Yep, do that five times. Uh, and then I went out this afternoon. It was steamy. It was hot. A today. Hot afternoon. Baked in the sunshine, 28 minutes and 30 seconds. Just shaking out. Yeah. 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 There you go. And but then. Legs are feeling good. You're ready I, to race? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I've had a, a lot of work lately and a lot of other manual labor on the side, but I feel fit and I'm, I think I'm at the point where I'll freshen up here. Yeah. Um, to give everyone an idea looking forward, uh, I will essentially do uh, one last workout that's not much of a workout Sunday, and then it'll get pretty light and have a taper session next week. Nice. Um, so Sunday's workout will be a, just a three-mile tempo, a steady state, uh, so it'll probably be somewhere around marathon effort, okay. short jog, and then three minutes harder. Uh, so three miles plus three minutes, Yeah. probably be at like 8K effort or okay. something like that. So next week at Taper, it'll have something with uh, some very short cycles at half marathon pace in that workout, and then some very short cycles a little quicker yeah. 
and some strides on the closing days before uh, showtime. So nice. That's the training. Let's go ahead to the main course. Fartlek training. If I had my way, <laughs> we'd all be doing a whole lot more of this. You know what we'd be doing, Phil. We'd be doing hills <laughs> and fartlek. Hills and fartleks and, and, and strides. And strides oh, and long and runs. And it's a complete diet, Travis. You really could. Yeah. That's the beauty of this. You, yeah. could, you could do everything on this. And I know that the argument against my position would be if we went back to the article we examined mm-hmm. uh, a few episodes ago. The best of the best on the track are going to have a phase where they get on the track right. and most likely remove the hills or the fartlek or both yep. and do more consistent track work in the last phase beforehand. I, I get that and I see a place, a place for, for it. That, sure. Yeah, absolutely. It doesn't mean you have to. Even if you just look at what I did this morning, that first 800 mm-hmm. in my set is, in a sense, just trying to make sure I'm dialed in. I do a real steady diet of stuff away from the track and having a calibrated space then to make sure it's translating what I think the effort should look like on race day. Well, and I think that's a bit of the challenge with with incorporating the fartlek is that so often workouts turn into like a test piece week after week after week of like, mm-hmm. I need to hit this pace. I need to hit this time or this split or this distance. And you feel great if you hit it. You feel fantastic if you're a few seconds ahead if you're disciplined you realize you cooked it too fast yes or you feel terrible if you're if you're slow or there may be many many variables that affect that but fartlet kind of takes that emotion out of it and lets you kind of base it on effort and feel and of course you can use your, your gps which i know you love so much or, <laughs> and your and power I, or whatever to kind i of do use it though phil but, uh, we're being somewhat sarcastic i do use it but typically post-mortem right i'm looking back on the session not totally locked into it during the right. session where these workouts kind of let you play a little bit and yeah and so to those points you called it a, a to a degree the challenge of it but i do think it's also the beauty of yeah. part like it you know we did an episode a basic episode on this but it's been like three years ago four years ago i don't even remember it was an early episode and we got more into some of the definitions but to review this is loosely translated as speed play yep. from the Swedes who made this famous. And it most significantly was unstructured. Mm-hmm. We're going to get into a lot of structured examples because that is what it has become. But there is still a place for unstructured work. One coach who I know incorporates this well is Renato Canova, yeah. the famed marathon coach who has worked with most significantly a lot of successful Italians in the 80s, yep. 90s, and 2000s, and later on the East Africans. He will often use aft, say, uh, perhaps in between two really challenging sessions, a lot of days of easy days, but then a moderate session of unstructured fartlek. It could be something like saying every three or four minutes surge for 20 or 30 seconds. Yeah. And then you can take that and apply it in the way the Swedes did early on and just have points that you are targeting that I'm going to surge to this with really not a lot of concern for the specific pace. Just run fast. Just changing speed. Just change speed. Another key early element of this was just 
somewhat of a childlike joy of play Mm -hmm. that comes with doing fart like that when we just used to get up and run and enjoy and you and i still love it but we don't do it in the same way we did when we got up off the couch when we were 10 years old and ran out to go right. shoot hoops or ran to retire, ball. stopped and walked. And yeah, exactly. Again. Yeah, yeah, that's right. You are freed from the expectations and the rigidity of the track, mm-hmm. which I'm a fan of. That adds to the value of fartlek, particularly early in any training cycle, because it allows you to work on effort, freed from any expectations yep. on the track. And then you can shift towards working on pace as you near your goal race. And that is a definite theme that we saw the elite athletes are doing in the case studies we reviewed. And a topic that we've talked about a lot that uh, even when we looked at training load, Mm -hmm. we like to see that shift from effort toward pace as you near a target race, a command performance. Become more specific as you get towards that that goal. That's right. As traditionally used for distance runners, another key point is these are about surging from your normal training pace rather than significantly slowing the easy pace in those off segments. Uh, So we have a bit of a misguided understanding uh, of how this has evolved over time where I'll just take a random session. Let's say it's two minutes on and one minute off times 10. Yeah. Where we run that one minute really, really easy so that we can run the two minutes hard. I, I don't want to say original intent, but to some degree it is true. The original design uh, was that one minute looked more just like your normal everyday right, training your standard pace. standard rhythm pace. And the, That's right. And the two minutes were more of a surge. Right. What we get with the really easy off segments is actually more like Fartlek is designed for sprinters or for shorter distance like uh-huh. like 400 800 runners no we don't talk a lot about training for those events here but you can talk to really good sprint uh long sprint coaches yep. and mid-distance coaches who might use things like on the track fart like even where it's random whistles where it's somewhere around like 20 seconds where you run hard mm-hmm. and 40 seconds where you just almost shuffle That doesn't sound super challenging, but start running really hard for 20 seconds and only give yourself 40 to recover. And in 10 minutes, you can give yourself a heck of a workout. Well, that's even something similar that seems to be real common with early high school kids is jogging the turns and running straight. I was going to go to that. It's a great example. As for somebody that doesn't have much, I guess training lifetime miles or that maybe just returning back from an injury or something like that, just same kind of deal where on the straights of the track, you're you're going a little bit quicker, but on the turns, you're just going kind of your normal normal rhythm to start to start to work those movement patterns towards different gears. Yeah, an example of someone who did that incredibly well is Henry Rono. Yeah, uh, was known for uh, manipulating that session over time with extension of maybe it was hundreds, and then later it became two hundreds, but also the intensity, the pace ratcheted up. Mm-hmm just a world record holder at one time. So he's okay. (laughs) Uh, Let's get into the history a little bit. This is a, 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 an interesting thought process, Phil, of our traditional perspective on structured training for distance running is built a lot around our understanding of intervals, Mm -hmm. intervals used in many different ways, but that is at the core, whether it's, 
repeats of 200s, 400s, 800s, miles, whatever it might be, and whatever the pace might be, that's often at the base yeah. of how we understand distance training. Let's take you back in time. Here we go. 80 years ago, almost precisely to the date, from 1942 to 1945, two Swedish runners, uh, Gunder Haig and Arne Anderson. Oh, I was hoping you would go there. Yes. <laughs> exchanged the world record for the mile run multiple times. Mm-hmm. They ultimately dropped the mark from 406.2, which was Glenn Cunningham, late 30s, US. He was like four, uh, I think he might have been 406 high. There was one person in between, uh, but trying to give some context of a famous Mm -hmm. American runner. It goes down to 401.4 in 1945. Okay. Yeah. Each of them used fartlek as a key component of the training. An off-season key component was cross-country skiing. Yes. Given well, where they, they lived, these, these running workouts in the forest. Yeah. Too. Absolutely. Fartlek was designed as a training mechanism with its roots in the Swedes' quest to unseat the Finns, the flying Finns, as the reigning Scandinavian distance power, mm-hmm. and it was very successful. That four hundred one point four mark was not broken until Sir Roger Bannister right. went sub four in 1954. Implementing pretty strict interval training. Yeah, I'm going to come to that, right? So I don't want to jump ahead of you. No, you're good. It's, <laughs> it, that's part of the point, though. That's point B. Point A is that's a remarkable gap. It's nine years in which we can anecdotally at the least exhibit how advanced fartlek training was. Mm-hmm. Now, we need to remember Sweden was neutral during World War II, so they have greater training opportunities than perhaps runners of the prime age did in other countries. And then also you have the era of reconstruction throughout Europe after that, which doesn't lend itself to peak performances. Challenges with nutrition and yeah, recovery and absolutely. other issues. So there are significant variables impacting challenges from the outside to these marks by the Swedes. But couch it in the terms that you just started to bring up. Here's point B. What if they had broken four first? What if they had done it in 1940? A decade yeah. before Bannister. They yeah. were that close. Who's coach? Do you remember his coach? Oh, Victor France? Nah. You got close. The, you put a name in there. You, you put a name that is a name in the wrong spot within the name. Well, That made a lot of sense. Enlighten me. France Stamfel. Well, I was on the France. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Employed a very specific mm-hmm. scientific interval system. That becomes the leading mid-distance and distance training method in part due to Bannister sub-4 mile. Yep. What if the Swedes have done it first? Well, and uh, his approach was basically to teach Bannister to run 400 after 400 just below four-minute pace, right? That's right. Yes, the classic 10 by 400 yeah. session, which may be, I hate to say this, but just throwing this out hypothetically, it might be total garbage. Who knows? Just because it worked for the guy who broke four. Gives it a lot of, yeah. a lot of traction. <laughs> it, yeah. It's hard not to buy into it. Of course, it's, it's not garbage. I shouldn't say it that way. It doesn't mean that it necessarily works for everyone because of that. That less than two second difference might be the razor's edge between most of us today training with fartlek yeah. versus training with interval. That's how close we are to the stuff we're talking about today that really is very traditional. Maybe being the cornerstone rather than something that 
I believe with a lot of track athletes gets looked down upon yeah, some. Sure. And so we're not here necessarily to defend it just because we like it. It is an option that can be really successful for a lot of people. And I've seen success with it myself. And also we see it with a ton of runners out there across the world. It, it is most commonly used by Scandinavian mm-hmm. and East African, particularly Kenyan runners in our world today. But one point to go back to from the study by Seiler and company, we see an, uh, the professionals using a lot of repeats of kilometers and miles, simple round distances, right. one kilometer, one mile. But a great translation from that for you, me, and everybody else to fartlek is understanding that for a lot of really good runners... K reps end up being somewhere right around three minutes sure. for a lot of the work well, they do. Translating it to time. That's right. We translate it to time. And mile reps for them end up a lot of times being around five minutes. Right. And three and five minute reps are something we all can yeah. apply well rather than saying we need to do a mile. Because guess what? For you to run the comparable pace, an elite runner, let's say top of the top marathon or five minute mile right. for marathoning, right? Or, or less, but most of the best Americans are somewhere around five minutes, American males. But for you, that might be eight or ten minutes. Right. These reps could be like, at five minutes, could be threshold type stuff. Well, it's a different, if it's a different stimulus for somebody that's running marathon pace at five minutes versus marathon pace at eight minutes. That's exactly right. And so what we can do is take the times that they're running mm-hmm. and run comparable efforts for us for those amounts of minutes. And now they just slide perfectly into this puzzle of how we fit fartlek into our training because now i can do three minutes on x minutes off or five minutes on x minutes off and by off i mean easy normal running here typically that can vary we can float it we'll talk more about that but now we take a lot of what's done on the track by the best of the best and make it very easily accessible for the average, for the rest. Well, and I think that's where a lot of folks can make a big step in their training is that sometimes the track is totally inaccessible. Mm-hmm. Whether you it's don't hard to need get to, one you to don't be have great. access to it. But also, you know, some recreational runners that I've worked with, really that's a big step to say, I need to go to the track to do X workout versus I can go out the door and start incorporating these intensities for three minutes, five minutes, just on my normal neighborhood route. It can be a huge bridge from the runner that maybe wants to just complete a 5K of building the fitness just to complete that to, all right, we're going to take the next step and add a little bit of intensity and continue to knock that 5K down below 30 minutes, below 25 minutes, what have you. Yeah. Whereas sometimes trying to introduce the concept of, well, I've been running three days a week, you know, just around my neighborhood to now I got to go to the track and do some of this work. Just we don't bridge that gap. Great point. Let's go to some examples. Sure. Okay. And let's begin with some of what I will call the famous or named fartleks, the ones that we associate with a person. You know where I'm going to start. Uh, I know exactly where you're going. Because I've talked about it on like 13 different episodes. Uh But frankly, let's make it 14. (laughs) (laughs) To quickly recap, that is the Monaghetti fartlek. Uh, Steve Monaghetti, the great Australian Australian distance runner. runner, Best of the best. You could make an argument that maybe it should really be named after his coach Mm -hmm. who helped create this. But the idea was, let's pack a 20-minute session where we can get a bunch of quality. You could do a thorough warm-up and cool-down that are also 20 minutes and make this one hour and have a huge bang for your buck. To quickly review, 
This is two times 90 seconds on, 90 seconds off. Mm -hmm. Four by 60, 60. Four by 30, 30. Four by 15, 15. Monteghetti manipulated those segments based on the time of the year and the type of training he was doing. Am I in a base? Am I getting ready for a 5K? Am I getting ready for a marathon? That changed how he ran the segments. So well, you have, and manipulated the recoveries as well, right? That, that's right. So an important point to note here, just a point of clarification, the interval is the recovery. Yep. When we speak to interval within these, that they manipulated those intervals, whether it was trotting, whether it was running normal, whether it was floating, more steady, and also manipulated the on segments of how fast they ran. And there were times when it was, how much total distance can I cover? That was actually the, the bigger variable that he mm -hmm. measured rather than within the on cycles. It was, how much total distance am I covering over the 20 minutes? This allows for a bit of unstructured play and joy within a structured fartlek because you can change what you do and how you do the ons versus the offs. I've mentioned here before, my favorite iteration of this is to just try to keep the off cycles steady, yep. to float the interval in between. So not true recovery, not just cruising easy. That's right. Keeping it's a little bit of rhythm in Foot into it. off the gas, but never onto the brake. Yep. Often I will use marathonish pace or effort as a guide there and then you're surging I, i'm almost flipping it and making the on cycles the interval where uh -huh. it's just like surge see what happens and i'm more structured in the offs but there are so many ways you can work from that listen to any episode we've ever done and you'll yep. probably hear more on this <laughs> but we've said also in the past if I had to only do one workout where I couldn't be on a hill, it's mm -hmm. not a long run, but it's a true, more structured session, I'd probably wind up here a lot yeah, of times. Yeah, this is it. Yeah. yeah. Well, and he's even said, hasn't he, that if he was just doing this through a marathon cycle, that would get him about as fit as any other specific workout would. That's right. And he did it pretty much year round. Yeah. It was almost universally done. Uh, I believe on Tuesday, with the exception of during race weeks, I believe he trimmed it to 11 minutes. Uh, he did a condensed version. And then sometimes immediately following a big peak race, he wasn't doing it right because of yeah. recovery. Uh, he's almost always doing it. Interesting here, I, I look at my list of these famous fartleks, and I'm, we're going to get a lot of Australian influence to start off. Uh, the second is the Gregson fartlek. You're familiar with Ryan Gregson, uh -huh. great mid-distance runner. I love this workout. Uh, it is not one I use frequently, but it too can be manipulated depending on your fitness level. This is a 30-minute session. Mm -hmm. In its original composition... You begin with your warm-up, followed by 10 minutes at marathon effort, then a 10-minute cycle of five times one-on-one-off. Yep. The one-on here is done at around 10K effort. The one-off is steady, close to marathon effort. So we're staying at that same effort that we had those first that first 10 minutes. That's right. Is now your kind of recovery. Yeah. And then 10 minutes to close at half marathon effort. For the total 30-minute session. It's one of those where if you're fit, it's really, really manageable and yeah. quite a good session. But if you're not, it's very, That's very challenging. Yeah. And so the changes you could make in composition would be in that one-on, you could go to a true one-off and make it easier if that is 
a stepping stone you need to make this more palatable, or I've constructed it with just one-minute jog breaks between the ten-minute sessions, okay. uh, segments of the session, Break it excuse up a little me, bit. just to get you a touch of recovery. Yeah. But the ultimate goal, again, is ten at marathon, ten with five by one-on-one off, alternating between 10K and marathon efforts, and then ten at half marathon which that last 10 minutes feels very race-like. Yeah. You're dealing with some fatigue. Much like the Monteghetti, it's kind of 30 minutes of threshold work, yeah. really. Well, because you're getting some recovery built in, but not enough to really bring the lactate down and bring your heart rate down. That's right. Yeah. You kind of stay on the gas for the whole session. A, a third Australian example, uh, one that I much enjoy, and actually in construction is similar to what I did this morning on the track. I was taking this and moving yeah. it to the track, one, so that... I had this measured uh, space to do it because I have a race coming up and two, so that I could have a friend run with me and Mm -hmm. make it easier for him so that we could regroup on the recoveries because he's a little behind me. Uh, That's the Moose Fartlek. Uh, Julian Moose Spence from Inside Running. This has become associated with him over the past few years. It's what he calls his get fit quick scheme. (laughs) If if he had to go (laughs) to one one of those. Yeah. If we had to go to one that you're just like, I need this to get fit. I got something coming up and, and I'm, This is my one workout. This is also a 30-minute session, broken into cycles of, in minutes, three, one, one, one. So it's six minutes, and you're going to do the whole thing five Five times, times. and you're continuous. You're rolling through these. So it will look like, in his iteration that he likes, three minutes at 10K effort, a minute jog. One minute at 5K effort, a minute jog. Cycle back through. Now I go right back into that three to get to 30 minutes. You could, of course, condense this to Mm -hmm. start it. Do four cycles, then five cycles, then get to the six cycles where it's a a, Mm -hmm. a total of 30 minutes. Or you could do what I did today and make the threes just a touch slower. Go to 15K or half marathon effort. That could be dependent on what you're training for and how you decide to compose that. In my case where I have a half marathon coming up, I wanted to work on that pace right. and then do something faster, then respond by going back to half marathon pace and how comfortable am I? Mm-hmm. If you're training for a shorter race, then maybe working it like he does at 10K and 5K makes a lot more sense. Or if I was farther out from my race, I might do that also. Maybe so not, not so much. Yeah, yeah. Not, not quite as specific. But So that's the moose fartlek. That's three on. One off, one on, one off, and then repeat again, repeat again until 30 minutes. What's interesting about those examples, as an aside, they are all multi-pace and they are not multi-pace just in the sense of being progressive, but in the sense of alternating. Right. And we've talked about alternations where you don't often get full or complete recovery. So these are either alternate alternations or what we might call blends modulations. Go ahead. What were you going to say? I think that's a huge component that we can't really tease out from the research perspective as well, is that there's so much benefit to, you know, shifting from a workout where everything we're trying to just repeat the same pace to going to a workout where we're learning to shift gears, learning how different paces feel, how different effort feels to give us a little bit better range, but also just to give us a little bit better sense of what these paces actually are. Yeah. You know, so for somebody that may even be new to racing, like learning, you know, this is what 10K pace should feel like. This is how it's different from 5K pace. This is how it's different from, you know, half marathon pace. Just learning to switch gears within that session. 
Yeah, that's great. That leads into the next point then. What's the purpose of doing these? As you said, one is working on gear change. Yeah. That's very valuable. It's something that most of us who don't run track meets very often really don't do much right. of. Because in track meets, this is constantly happening at your race at distances like the mile. Mm-hmm. The mile has surging and has closing and, and pace change. It's happening in cross-country races because of undulating terrain. But a lot of us are just going out and running a 5K, 10K road race, half marathon, marathon. And only a small portion of the field is actually racing. Right. And many of us have a target time we're looking for, and we're trying to get there with that even approach. And so we don't practice gear change much. It's a time trial. Right. That's right. It's time trialing rather than racing. racing. And, And that's okay. It's just something different. But working on gear change still has significant value, even if that's your goal. It's also about dealing with the negative ion accumulations associated with increasing blood lactate Mm -hmm. and corresponding to that clearing that while still running fairly fast in the monogetti if you float those offs i'm still moving at a steady clip and so i am moving fairly fast and still trying to clear out those concentrations uh, of higher blood lactate levels you learn how to relax when you're under discomfort Yes. And so let's take that to the next step. Then practically, it's going to make an effort like marathon or half marathon effort feel easier. Uh-huh. Yeah. So there's a bunch of practical value. And moreover, these often could be substituted for a traditional tempo run or threshold run within your training cycle. Yeah. Next, let's move to a different part of the world. What we will very often see as just the Kenyan fartlek, or maybe more broadly East African, but we associate it most with the Kenyan groups that are doing it Mm -hmm. essentially weekly. And that is some number of one-on, one-off segments. We see it in in American running. Benji mentioned this as one of his favorites a number of episodes ago. Kind of getting back into starting to do workouts. That's right. Uh, The one-on-one-off we see that he mentioned that a lot of high schools might do Mm -hmm. early in the season is that 10-by, 1-to-1, 20-minute great workout. The Kenyan groups, you're more likely to see something like 20 or 25 times one-on-one-off. It's a longer session done in large groups. Yep. Uh, with a big goal to be, how long can I hang on to the group? Stay with that lead pack. How long can I stay into the pack? If we pivot a little from this and we float that one minute off, it looks a lot more like the other three examples we just discussed right. and that it can be replacing a threshold. I'll use this a lot. 30 minutes, say, 15 by one to one, where maybe I'm going back and forth between something like 10K, I might not start there, it gets a little quicker over time, but 10K and marathon, back and forth. It averages out to a really nice, really challenging threshold session where it's not just about riding at or a little under threshold, which is valuable and what we know works, but we can also pull it and push it. We work it from different Uh, angles, right? From the... the lab perspective, that's a huge component of moving that lactate threshold higher is, you know, instead of doing doing just a sustained workout where I'm putting it on this pace and I'm holding it for 20 minutes, 40 minutes, whatever, it's like we're staying around that same range, but we're going to do a little bit of above, a little bit above and a little bit below. And like you said, just trying to push it from below and then trying to pull it from above, yeah. kind of moving that a little bit higher. 
So there's value in multiple ways of, of yeah. getting at that along the curve that we've discussed in a couple episodes about a month ago. It's not just about riding at a certain pace. That can have value at times, but above and below are valuable as well. The last one here in these more famous named fartleks is a much longer iteration. Squire surges are, are what mm-hmm. this is most commonly understood as. But in a lot of publications, um, if you if you read some older running literature, you'll see this as the Greg Meyer or Meyer Rogers fartlek. Right. Bill Rogers trained with Greg Meyer in Boston. And Rogers was historically a guy who loved track work in between a lot of racing and in between his long runs. Didn't do a lot of fartlek. And Coach Bill Squire started implementing surging with Rogers and and Meyer late in Rogers' marathoning career, but really in the heart of Greg Meyer's uh, marathoning career. I've mentioned this once here before. The the most famous iteration of this is a three-minute surge on 10-minute cycles within mm-hmm. a longer run. You don't probably don't want this to be for the average runner as long of an overall run as what these guys did because th- there's aerobic adaptations happening in a long run that you you might negate by going and doing faster. this in the yeah. in the course of like 22 miles for the average person. Right. And it might just be too much for you. But if you just take their cycles, because if, if you look at what they did, it was, I think, frequently eight total cycles. Mm-hmm. So it's 80 minutes, and you could have a little warm-up before it. But you would surge for three, probably somewhere around 10K effort. And then the seven in between was just some steady running. Yeah. And not easy jogging, but steady running. Well, and- I think there's a place for this, too, even from just a, like, somebody maybe beginning to step up to a half marathon or a marathon, where beyond the physiological adaptations, psychologically learning how to push a little bit harder when you're starting to get tired. Yeah. So instead of going out for, you know, an hour run or a 90 minute run, you know, just a steady clip over that course of that run, as you're starting to get fatigued, adding a little bit more efforts where maybe you're not even trying to hit a specific pace, but for three minutes, just trying to surge a little bit quicker and to psychologically learn how to deal with that discomfort. And you know what I find from that also, Phil, with a little bit of practice, and I've heard this from a number of guys I run with and from athletes that we work with, that starts to be fun in a way that it makes the entire adventure of that longer workout move quicker. Yeah. Psychologically, all of a sudden it's like, boom, I'm at 10 miles. Yeah. That if I had just gone out to run X number of miles, it would have felt a lot longer. Yeah. And so, again... Just an element of joy well, to get back into. Speed play. Speed play. Phil, we've got a ton of good content already just getting through the named fartlek. So I'll probably break this here okay. and split it into a second episode where we'll come back. I will touch on as well the NCAA results. Yeah, okay. So in the second half, what we'll do is examples of more fartlek style sessions that you could do where you're running at a more uniform pace or a okay. progressive pace rather than what we saw with these. Yep. And we'll, we'll stick them to corresponding events. Okay. So you're running at marathon effort, half marathon effort. So we're going to give a bunch of examples for Perfect. each of those. Sounds good.